Hello and welcome to the Bully Beater Podcast, an ongoing discussion on raising awareness of bullying and empowering victims. Coming to you from Brisbane, Australia, I'm your host, Jay Pickering. So Pascal, I've got a question for you. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 32. Okay, so social media wasn't a thing while you're at school. No. And you'd go through this at school and then you'd you'd go home. Were you ever talking to your family or parents about what you were going through? Yeah, I tried. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, to give you a basic view of, I guess, my home life. um, I love my mum and dad. Um, My dad worked a lot. Um, Like he worked like 12 hour shifts, three days on, four days off. Four days on, three days on. Um, and then when he was home, he was exhausted. So, yeah. there wasn't a lot of time with him. Uh, but the time that I did get with him was good. And I would never be able to talk to mum about that sort of stuff. Like, because she's European, she'd be like, oh, fuck him. Like, you don't need them sort of thing. You know, which isn't helpful to you know, someone in their primary school years, at least, sort yeah. of thing. Sure. And um, I remember actually speaking to my dad about it in year two, uh, before I got dropped off to school. I remember talking to him about um, there were these guys who, um, uh, well, they were just starting fights with me, physical fights. And I was just sick of, like, obviously going to school and then being scared of, other guys trying to hurt me or trying to get into fights with me. And I told him about it and I asked him like, what should I do sort of thing? And he's, I remember he just said, look, those guys like, and I did this, I did say to him that they were my friends, but obviously they weren't. And he said to me, you know, those sorts of people, they're not your real friends. Like real friends don't do that. And he's like, so you need to not be friends with them. And I said, well, if I'm not friends with them, then I don't have any friends. Like, and, um, and he was like, well, I guess maybe we'll do, um, some martial arts or something. And I started doing take one day. I did speak to them about it, but most of the time they just weren't helpful. Um, in that sense, like, I mean, my dad would have, like, if, if I continued to tell him, um, he would have just gone into the school and confronted the kids directly which I would have felt embarrassed about. And again, I would probably end up getting teased about it. So nothing is resolved sort of thing. So I dealt with most of it on my own. Um, I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it. Um, But when I was younger, when I was at that age, like those primary school years, the the thing that I think that sort of counteracted everything is that I was a happy-go-lucky sort of kid. So, I was always positive, but I always struggled with, um, with depression, like always, like for, for as long as I could remember, which is clearly obviously why, like if every person that you talk to, except for adults fucking hates you, like, (laughs) what are you going to like, you're not, you're not going to feel good about yourself. So, so how did like in those times when you were alone, how did you actually feel and what were some of the thoughts that you used to have about yourself going through 
those lonely periods you know what were some of the things you used to do to oh man when i was young um like so again primary school age most of it was dealt with just playing video games and uh imaginative play i guess like i played outside a lot um i'd ride my bike um again we had neighbors that i would play with uh they weren't as awful to me as kids at school but i would still cop my fair share yeah um but we there were you know there were definitely moments that like where i had fun and stuff um but a lot of a lot of what i did was um just sitting in my room and playing with my toys and just creating scenarios just scenario building and you know having whatever action man ninja turtles gi joe yeah. figures just playing in my All room cool. by myself toys and what about in your teen years like what did you what were your coping mechanisms for that uh truancy (laughs) violence uh complete anarchy um (laughs) i I was in a you'd barely call it a gang now but but i was in like a graffiti crew i guess yeah and um and a, a lot of my teen years um it would be going out at night vandalizing and um i never stole anything from cars or anything but i would break into cars just because i could it just i don't know just made me feel good um but i would definitely steal from the shops like um i was banned from um from a particular local shopping center <laughs> Uh, because back in the 90s, um, there was very little security for yeah. anything. So, you could... Um, music is a huge passion of mine. Like, I've grown up on music because of my dad. So, I, I grew up listening to a lot of jazz and blues, which turned into rock, um, like things like Black Sabbath and uh, Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin. And then that turned into my teen years that turned into heavy metal. Um, and I've always listened and then as well as hip hop, but, uh, because of that, um, being not able to afford to buy every single CD that you'd like, <laughs> you can just literally walk up to any store that sells CDs and, and you open the case. There's no security plastic case on the outside of it. It's not wrapped in a film or anything. You can just open it up and there's a CD. So, yeah, I would just rack CDs and steal clothes that I wanted and, yeah, just did a lot of stupid shit, really. And then when you, say, hit 18, you're becoming, you know, a young adult. Obviously, you start going out a little bit more and, you, you know, you start getting into the workforce and all that kind of stuff. How was that? I got kicked out of school in year 10 and yeah. I didn't know what to do, so I didn't go back to school for... A long time, probably um, probably about eight months or something like that. Anyways, um, and that was a, a, a turning point for me as well uh, because all of my friends, well, most of my friends, sorry, I won't say all my friends, but the majority of my friends were going to jail or getting hooked on hard drugs. And I was never really into hard drugs and I didn't want to go to jail and I didn't really know what else to do. So I went back to school and I repeated year 10. And fortunately that period of time 
from year 10 to year 12, I did form positive relationships, like good, yeah. good friends. And, and, and that was my, 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 uh, yeah, my last three years out of high school, uh, were very positive, fortunately. When I was 16, I met my girlfriend, who's now, well, who's now my wife, um, and we ended up, uh, well, actually, before her, me and one of my best mates from year eight, from the group of friends that I had yep. sort of created, we started going to church together, um, just curious, like, you know, about life sort of thing like what you know what's real what isn't real you know is there really nothing after death you know you're you're starting to think about your your own existence sort of thing and we were both serious uh for a period of time and he dropped off before i did um but i was at church for up until i was about 22 and i left the church due to typical human behavior just gossip and shit and yeah. people can't mind their own business or whatever the hell. But um, You tend to find that in sporting organisations as well. I think you find it in any group of people, really. Yeah. So, yeah, but because I'd done so much in my teen years as far as being wild, it was all out of my system by the time I was an early adult. And um, I didn't really know what to do with myself and I ended up, uh, getting a trade when I was 19 and I started wall and floor tiling and I enjoyed it uh, because I'm I'm artistic and uh, and it's an artistic kind of job and you get to see you know what you've done by the end of it so it was really rewarding so and I did that for the next 10 years got married had kids um, and then when I was 28 um, Everything fell apart and uh, I went into a very deep depressive phase. Um, I, I had, like, I've been through depressive phases, like, my whole life. So, it was nothing new to me and I hadn't shared that side of me with my wife before mm-hmm. um, because it was my burden and I didn't really want it to affect her and... Um, for whatever reason, this time it was just so much worse, like, which was crazy to me because I just, it was so frustrating, I think, like, internally. And I just hated myself so much because I was just killing it. Like, as far as life is concerned, like, had a good job, making good money. We've had our first kid, married, good friends, good family. What do you, what do you think triggered all that? Uh, I don't know what triggered it. My wife eventually told me to seek help and to go see a doctor because it was affecting my quality of life. Like, and not only my quality of life, but my life at home, my life at work, it's falling behind in paperwork and all sorts of drama. And having a newborn. And having a newborn as well. That's not great. Um, it's stressful enough as it is when you have a new baby and... You've never had to look after another human being before. Well, it's not just that. I mean, the lack of sleep that comes with having a newborn, like, you know, having having suffered mental illness, you probably know that that one of the first things a doctor will tell you is, is you know, you might have been able to burn the candle at both ends before, but now sleep is important. If you don't prioritise it, you're going down the sheet. Yeah, and I've definitely learnt that the hard way. 
but I'm for, I was fortunate enough to have a fantastic wife who did get up with the baby and let me sleep uh, because I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go to work as a tradie. So, um, and she was um, studying to become a primary school teacher at the time. So, yeah, so at 28, uh, once when I seeked help, ended up being diagnosed with bipolar type 2, which for those of you who don't know, uh, bipolar type 2 is more depression than hypermania. So, um, I guess it's not as severe as major depression disorder, but it's severe enough to. Yeah, I think in some way, if you asked someone who had bipolar type 1 and you asked them uh, if they could press a button and they could get rid of their mania, they'd say no. Because despite the fact that it can be destructive, they can have the highest of highs and all these amazing experiences. You ask someone who's only ever suffered bipolar type 2 where all they get is the lows and all they get is the depression... You know, the people I know who've suffered, who have actually suffered bipolar type 2, utterly resent it and what it does to their lives and they would do anything they could to get rid of it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's it's just damaging and it's self-destruction. Like, you are just... It's so sad but really interesting at the same time because I never knew, call me ignorant, but I never knew like anything about bipolar yeah it's uh and there is there is a a, there is a little bit of hypermania and and like you said like a a a type one would never give it up well it's not that they'd never give it up but when you do go into hypermania or mania if you're bipolar type one um it is fucking fantastic like it really is like you you can your mind is just so clear and you can think like so well and you're so efficient in everything that you do. Like, and and looking back now and understanding where I was at. So, at 28, I was at the typical age when, when those sorts of mental health disorders come into play. Genetic, like, so if you have a genetic disposition to have bipolar or schizophrenia or whatever, between the age of 25 and 30, that is typically... In males, that is when it shows up. And it showed up, I guess, bang on. And when I look back, leading up to the depression, like I said, I was killing it at work and everything was fantastic. I was in a metal band as well. Like, um, I was playing in Brisbane um, all the time and at the Gold Coast. Like, we'd, we'd be out a couple of times a week, you know. not We're not anyone famous or anything, but... It's awesome to do what you love, like to go out and play music in front of a live crowd, like manage juggling that, juggling your own business and then juggling a young family. I don't even know how I did it now, but it's, it sounds like it might have been hypermanic again. Yeah, energy. it's that's exactly. And, and eventually it just it caught up with you and you. That's and exactly you, what happened. And you hit the wall. Yeah. And, 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 to, and to be honest as well, like I actually had. I was not worried because obviously I didn't I didn't understand mental health at, at that point, um, but I was wondering for a lo- for a number of years where has the depression gone? It normally comes around every so often, like you, you get used to the flow of it, sort of thing. You, um, not that you know exactly when to expect it, but you know it 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 pops up, sort of thing. But at this point, um, you know, it, it hadn't sort of popped up for years. And I thought, oh, well, maybe the depression was just 
a part of just my childhood and, and my upbringing and, you know, and, and everything else. And now all that pain is just so far gone. Like, um, this is what it feels like to be a normal human being sort of thing. There are actually some cases where, where people will only suffer depressive incidents their whole life and they could get to being in their 60s, 70s, 80s and have their very first hypermanical manic episode yeah i've really? heard that before yeah and that blows me away like because they've told me um um when i was speaking to the uh the psychologist no, psychiatrist psychiatrist it, he was telling me that like some people only experience it a few times yeah. like in their life and the rest of the time they're just that baseline wow. and i was just like holy shit how can like i don't even I don't even understand that. Well, here's an interesting way to think about it. When you're manic, you're on top of the world. You feel like, you know, you could be driving down the road and and park and car parking spaces are opening up for you. It's part of the grand master plan and everything in your life is working and you've got all this energy and everything's happening for you. And then your mood crashes and you feel and you start to be able to see the destructive effects and influence that manic behavior has been having on the people's lives around you and you feel like trash yeah in yourself but you you know you have more than a healthy amount of self-reflection on what's just happened but there are actually people like you said bipolar type 2 who generally only ever get depression there are people who only ever go manic yeah so and i and i actually know know someone who who suffers from this Mm. so so they'll go through periods of hypermania into full-blown mania every so often. It's almost like never having to say you're sorry because they never get to a point where they become depressed. And in a way, you know, you think about if you just happen to have the wrong personality type, you know, everyone can just get over it, right? Because, you know, they'll go through that and they'll never their mood will never crash to a point where they'll ever really take a, a good hard look at what they're doing around them yeah there's no real time to reflect because they're, they're just so uh they just have so much momentum going yeah mm. I, I can tell you one thing that sort of person even though it they might think that it's a, a perk and it's great you know it's just a, a devastating trail of relationships in their wake yeah well that's the issue with mental health eh? it's 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 constant uh, <laughs> uh relationship damage and repair if, if you're conscious enough to realize that you've damaged relationships and to try and fix whatever it is, the damage that you've left in your wake. So, when you were going through that phase, bro, how long do you think that lasted? The depression? Yeah. I would have to say for probably a solid, at least a solid year and a half. Wow. And obviously, I was a guinea pig for medication. Yep. And the medication would send me on uh, rapid cycling. And it was almost to a T. Two weeks hypermania, two weeks depression. Two weeks hypermania, two weeks depression. Um, And then some of the medication, um, it just made me so irritated and just like fits of rage and uncontrollable anger. Like truly just and and not even understanding where it's coming from like you just have all this negative energy and just anything will just piss you off 
and 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 it's weird because you'll take you know a certain amount throughout the day and then it'll just be like one thing or you just wake up and you and you'll and you've woken up in a fucked mood yeah and everyone who's around you is about to cop it yeah so unfortunately my wife had to deal with this and i told her when i first got diagnosed um I understood what it meant immediately when I was diagnosed bipolar 2. Even though I didn't fully understand how bipolar 2 worked, I understood there was depression and there was hypermania. And the reason I guess... The reason why I did understand is because... Which I didn't really talk about, but when I was about 15, um, I met a guy through church. And this is not when I was going... I was not going to church. This was when my parents started going to church. Long story short... He was 27. He was an ex-drug addict. Um, He was diagnosed schizophrenic. And he just took me under his wing. And we hung out. We used to go skateboarding together. We used to just talk about life. A lot of just cool shit. Like just a lot of um, existential stuff we used to talk about. And he gave me, I guess, a... um, he developed, a, I guess, like a curious mind in me. Uh, later on in life, when I was 19, uh, I hadn't seen him for years and years and years. But later on, when I was 19, I ended up moving in with him. And he was off his meds. And um, that was for about a two-year period. And he went back onto drugs. And um, I used to take him to AA meetings. I used to take him to get on. I used to go to the hospital for him and get sharps kits. I'd chill with him while he'd shoot up in the lounge room or in the car. And I'd watch this guy that I looked up to so much just self-destruct in the fucking crazy way. And um, and eventually, obviously being schizophrenic, he, um, he, got, uh, he got some paranoid ideas about me. And started to think that I had alternative motives, which I didn't. I never judged him for what he did or anything. Like, I grew up with family members who were drug addicts, so it was nothing new to me. I just wanted to be there for him like how he was for me, which is a bit ambitious when you're 19. Yeah. Trying to look after someone who's (laughs) 30-something. But I did it until... I got kicked out and I did. And and I've I've, honestly, I've never seen him since, but I don't have a a single bad feeling against him because I understand that it was, it's not, it's not him. It's not the the person that I knew and grew to love and to respect. It's the mental illness that just completely destroys you. That's like moving forward. And and I was talking to Greg about this the other day, Mm. just saying that, this interview is something that I'm actually really looking forward to. Mm. <clears throat> Knowing some of your past mm. and, you know, we we all know that you could have approached life now with a complete victim mentality. Yeah. You know, with all the shit that you've been through and seeing how you work and communicate with people, you have a real high level of empathy, I suppose and emotional intelligence like you really genuinely care about people yeah um i really do um 
and it's such a humble thing to say <laughs> but no um don't blush now pascal it's uh no i mean i do and it's and it's genuinely and it's obvious why it's obviously because i've just gone through so much shit myself and i have come out on top of it and i, I know that in high school at some stage i wanted to become a uh, a psychologist you know yeah. i wanted to help people and and then, and in my church years, I was um, a youth leader, and I was also um, a musician leader, um, well, music director or whatever. And when I got the taste, I guess for like sort of youth work, like being a youth leader, and I was like, like I said, I was nineteen, uh, yeah, nineteen twenty. Like I'm not really that much older than the people that I'm talking to, which, yeah. which is a weird position to be in. And I was just lucky that I understood that I was too young to be doing it. Like, not to have the respect that's required to make an impact on someone's life, someone that's younger sort of thing. So, the experience that I've had as far as pain and loneliness and depression, like to deal with, you know, suicidal thoughts, you know, and even thoughts of killing other people as yep. awful as that is, when you know that you can come out on top, it's like having a secret that other people who go through long-term suffering, as far as depression goes or being bullied or being mistreated, it's like a secret that I have that you can come out on top of it. And it's my life's not perfect. Like, I, you know, I'll never not have depression ever again. Like... That's not a reality for me. But I know that with the choices that I make and constant hard work into developing my character and my personality, I can have somewhat of a social, like a normal life. But there will just be periods where I just need to take a time out. And if people can learn to manage their thoughts and their emotions properly... And just accept the fact like, okay, I'm just going, I'm going through depression right now, which you'll never really say that when you're depressed, like, you, you know, it's fucking awful being depressed. But if you can recognize and, and, and be beside yourself and be like, okay, this is just something I just have to go through. This is what my body does. This is what my mind does. And I've just got to ride it out until it's done. And then I can sort of keep moving. But at the same time, you got you to gotta be, you can't just sit there and do nothing about it. You have to take steps into making progress and to help navigate your way out of that darkness as well. Do you think like doing what you do as a career and helping others is less fortunate and going through... A, a lot of the same shit that you've been through that gives you more strength and that adds to your character as well knowing that you can go into work today and you can make a difference to that kids yeah absolutely like i don't i mean we see a lot of workers come and go yeah in our industry in our industry yeah. as far as youth work goes people come people go and it's by no fault of their own there's so much pain in this world and sometimes it's difficult to witness it and even to experience it side by side with someone else. 
it can become overwhelming if you've not developed the grit that it takes yeah. to go through it with them. And I've just been blessed enough that I've gone through it and that I understand what it is and that the grit that you develop, it's your armor for very difficult situations. Yeah. And really, sometimes really uncomfortable situations. And if you can, if you can work with someone who's going through a difficult time and not let it affect you in an emotional way, then you're going to be able to have clear thoughts. And if you have clear thoughts, then you can have a better understanding of what's going on in that moment of time and to help come up with, obviously, with short-term solutions. But also, like you were saying, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And through your own example of your own life and how you've lived, people can see, hey, he's gone through this. He's gone through all of this shit and he's still here. You know, he's chosen, to, he's still got a family, he's got a job, you know. Like I was told, when I got diagnosed, they told me that I'd probably never work again, you know. Yeah. And when you're that, like, when you're that psychologically vulnerable, that's the worst fucking thing you could ever say to someone. Like, Especially when you have a family or a mortgage or... Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. When you've had depression... And you're suffering from it and you're in a really, really bad place. I'm not, yeah, I'm not talking about Sometimes this depression, but... I'm, having someone say to you, you know, you just got to get some grit is also like telling them walk off a broken leg. Yeah. Sometimes in those situations, the only thing you can really do <clears throat> is empathize with them and carry through them through the dark place that they're in. Yeah. And it's usually when they start to come back into the light and have a little bit more, more of an ability to reflect on where they've been, mm, that you can start to start to teach them and say, look, you've been through this. Let's try and take some positives out of the really bad experience you've just been in. Yeah, absolutely. Like what I was going to say was pretty much well, along the lines of that, which was like, you just have to meet them with where they are at. Like, yeah. I mean, if I was depressed and, and you said to me, like I was in a serious depressive phase and I was not getting out of bed, not doing anything, not turning up to work, not showering, not brushing my teeth, barely wiping my own ass. And and even though I know that you would genuinely tr- try and help me and you'd be like, come on, man, like you've been through so much. Like I know that you can get through this. Yeah. Use that grit, you know, that you've developed and, and, and pull yourself through. Be like, Jay. Fuck off. There you go. They've got nothing left in the tank. There's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing there. Yeah, that's right. It, yeah, em- you're you're completely emotionally fatigued. Yeah. Like, and, and you just have, you have nothing, you have so little to give that you can't even give yourself any, like, you can't get out of bed. Yeah. You can't, you don't shower. You're, you're, you're disgusting. I've been, I've visited the same level of hell that you've been to. Yeah. But I've been the carer. Yeah. So I I understand where where quite often people will do what they're doing and trying to reach out to you and help you. I read this article that said that that if you get some exercise it'll help. You can't get out of bed. You have you don't even have the willpower to get dressed or shower or feed yourself. You know, I've read that if you do this maybe you should just do that and and you know you know, my friend Betsy, you know, just realized that if she got to sleep by 8.30 
every night, that'd be okay. That's someone who's in a stage of recovery, who is able to to integrate everything they've learned. And from being in a good place, they can take those steps to keep themselves well. But when you're at the very bottom of the graph and every little thing that happens is holding you down and not allowing you to breathe, sometimes the only thing you can do is is offer empathy. Wow. Yeah. It's it's a real journey to go through the seasons of depression and I would imagine of hypomania like oh sorry hypomania and mania but mania hypomania is fine it's yeah it's 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 you feel pretty damn good but with depression like so I was 28 when this hit right I honestly feel like and I'm being honest I honestly feel like that I've only been at baseline for a year. Wow. So that's how long it's taken to climb out of it. Because it's not it's not just a steady climb out of depression. It's you're at the very bottom of the pit, you climb up a little, you fall back down. You climb back up and you get a bit further and you might slip and fall down and eventually you'll get out. But it takes a fucking long time and it's emotionally draining. Like, and, it, and it's not just for you, right? It's, it's happening to, to everyone around you who's to trying to support you. everyone around you, yeah. Like, I, to, like I, told Chloe, I told my wife, Chloe, I said, you don't have to stay with me. I know what this entails. I've lived with someone with a mental illness. I don't want to put you through this. No, like, you know, no, obviously nothing personal or anything. I wasn't being, looking for a way out of my marriage or anything like that. It's just, I just, I, I truly understood the pain that she would have to suffer through just because she loves me. And probably because you loved her, you were making that suggestion because you thought, yeah, she'll be better off without yeah. me. If if I was a horse, I would have been shot, shot already, right? Yep. And, and not only that, but like... I'm a young father. What psychological damage am I going to do to my own children if I can't contain this monster that's inside of me? You know, there are going to be moments I'm not a perfect human being. Yeah. You know, no one's perfect. But on top of that, you have the burden of mental illness. And it's like, well, am I going to stay with my family and try my fucking best and try and be the best husband and the best parent that I can possibly be and will I be able to achieve it because of this I'm not saying I'm handicapped but a handicap that you've got as far as regulating your emotions go or do I let them go and they live a normal life but they got to live with a part-time with a part-time dad and my wife lucks out on on having me again I can probably offer you a little bit of insight to this because because like I said, I've, I've got a varying viewpoint on the same problem and I'm further along this mm. than you are. My, my daughter's 14 now mm. and um, we had the same, me and my wife had the same conversations, you know, are we going to be doing damage? Um, you know, you know, how is this going to affect her? Um, you know, all of these ideas and and these identities are being formed in their brain, how they think about themselves by a particular age and what effect am I going to have on that? Mm. I'll tell you right now that you will have, that this will have an effect on your, on your children. Yeah, of course. But the thing is, depending on the sort of people that you raise them to be, 
them going through this experience with you as their dad, the highs and the lows, that becomes part of their journey of resilience. I've actually never even thought of it like that. Um, it'll it'll form the sort of people that they become. Yeah. And they grew up in a house with with seeing a parent going through that and seeing the empathy that your wife um, gives you and the support that she gives you. When you go through the teenage years, it's a bit hard because everything's about them and, and you know, teenagers' hormones are taking their, their brains six ways from Sunday. But the truth of it is those are all experience and parts of their life which as they travel into adulthood, they will integrate in the same way that you took the experiences that were hellish for you to live through when you were being bullied as a young person mm. and you integrated them into the sort of person that you are. I think you'll find if you raise them to be good people, then they'll grow up with a lot more empathy and understanding for the people around them mm. than kids who would never have a parent who was suffering through this. Yeah. So I don't think you can ever say things are good or bad. I think it's really, you know... It is what it is. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah. No, and uh, you know what? That is a fantastic point. Like, and that... I'm actually glad that you said that because that's... Man, I've been spent- it's a it's a huge weight, like, obviously, as a, as a father, um, which you'd understand. Can I ask you, um, have you been open with your kids about... About mental illness. Yeah, about mental illness. And if so, from how young of an age? Um, that's a great question. And... Uh, because... It's, there's, there's no book on how to deal with this, of right? Of course, yeah. Um, a lot of it comes down to, to understanding when your child is ready to hear it and understand it, mm. especially if it's something that is reoccurring and... And I suppose at really early ages, you find ways to explain it off as something else. You know, you know, daddy's, you know, tired all the time or daddy's having trouble sleeping or, um, you know, we need to let him get his rest and, and you find ways to explain it. Mm. Sooner or later, they get to an age where that just doesn't wash anymore, right? Mm. And you've really, and I suppose for us, it, there was a one time where, you know, I'd finished, you know, working as a shift worker for years and my daughter was old enough to to see how things were and she wasn't going to school every day. It was in school holidays mm. and there was no other way to explain it. So, so at what age was she at this period? So she was probably about 11. Okay, yeah. I suppose. And I felt like she was old enough to to understand some of the concepts around mental illness and, and what it meant, mm. es- especially involved with treatment because it's because you, know, you may have experienced for some people medication doesn't work. Sometimes there can be lengthy hospital stays and quite often, um, as you said, and in my experience, when professionals talk to patients, they take the time to understand all of their symptoms, look at their genealogy if it's in their families. That's how they make diagnosis. Mm. You know, there's no way for them to really scan someone's brain and say, this is what you got. I know exactly what I'm give you for it. Yeah, It's all guesswork. It is. And quite often, patients can spend years recovering from the side effects that medications will give them. And, and they'll be heaped and heaped and heaped with more medications because they're trying to deal with 
with those things, and, and that's before you even get into withdrawal effects. It's not really a matter of if, if you tell them, it's a matter of when you have to, and and it's, it's tricky to know what to say and how much. And yeah, no, definitely. I Yeah, I, <laughs> I may have done the wrong thing, but... <laughs> So, people might think that I'm a bad dad, but I thought it was really important for my kids to know exactly what I'm going through to understand perhaps the behaviors that they see out of me when things aren't going good. So, my son doesn't know. He's four. Sure. He doesn't know. But my seven-year-old, so I was able to explain it to her through the movie Inside Out because you have all those characters that's in your head that represent different emotions and those different characters take control essentially of the little girl and control how she's feeling. And so I was able to articulate in such a way that the way that my brain works is that sadness tends to take over a lot. And then sometimes it'll be anger and very few times I'll just be fine. And she was very, receptive and very understanding from what I could tell. And I think that she does understand it because it's been maybe maybe a year or two since we've sort of had that discussion. And any time where um, I guess that I've had a bad day, she talks to me about it, you know, and she'll be like, oh, are you feel like, is anger taking over, blah, 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 or is sadness being over? And I'll be like, yeah, darling, I'm sorry. That's, you know, that's what I'm going through at the moment. And, and this is just what I love about kids is that, is that she would just cuddle me and she'd give me a kiss and, you know, she'd be like, you're okay, dad, you know, and it would just make, obviously, it would just make you feel better instantly. Not obviously, (laughs) that's not the cure for (laughs) bipolar, but it's a beautiful thing that though, like having you in a very simple yeah as far as simple as 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 it could be but but she understands because she sees me take medication you know so she knows that there's something that's not right so she understands that i just struggle with emotions and and if 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 something negative is happening like and, and i and i do reinforce this like on a on a regular basis like you know you don't have to be you don't have to feel sad or upset or angry or, or, or whatever. Like you just have to understand that, that I'm okay. Mummy's okay. Everyone's going to be okay. And we all love each other. I'll tell you why I think what you've done is, is great. And it's actually really important because I've obviously thought about this a lot over the years. Mm. Our parents or our parents' parents didn't know how to talk about this stuff. Yeah. It was often... You know, the family's dirty little secret. You know, grandpa's got bad nerves or or this or that. You know, people are embarrassed about it because they didn't know how to talk about it. They hid it away. Yeah. And back then, people didn't really understand that there were genetic components to this. Mm. Like, the thing with bipolar is if you've, if, if you've got it, and that's assuming it's been diagnosed correctly, mm. someone in your family lineage had it as well. Yeah. And, and the important thing here is is because people today are becoming more open this about this and being able to talk about this the thing i like about it is that hopefully when our kids grow up they haven't got to work it all out for themselves they haven't got to figure out why is this happening to me just because 
it's the thing that my parents never talked about. Mm. They shouldn't ever have to, you know, maybe maybe this kid's parents aren't around anymore or maybe they're estranged from them, especially if if it was never explained to them why their parents were angry all the time and that, you know, like it can break up family bonds and mm. and if that was a secret that you kept from their kids and then all of a sudden very common for for women to suffer their first um, manic depressive break when they have start having kids. Mm. And I think one statistic shows that it, it's probably they've got about a 70 or 80% chance of having another break every time they have pregnancies mm. and it will get worse and worse. Now, if you're a parent that hasn't told your kid that, they're finding out the hard way. Yeah, know? no, definitely. You know, and and when they don't have that context, the doctor will say, oh, you've just got, you know, you've got postpartum depression. It's kind of really common and, and that's all it is. But but it's treated very differently from the way that bipolar is treated. Yeah. Now, if your kid grows up understanding what you've gone through and when they're old enough, you're open and willing enough to say to them, you know, I've been through this, this can be genetic, you need to be aware of this and this needs to yeah. be on your radar, then I actually think that what's happening today where people are becoming more open about it and and the fact that you've found a way to, you know, albeit using, you know, the wonderful tool that Pixar created to help, you know, explain this really difficult concept to young children, it's an, it's enabled you to make sure that something that could affect your children's health as they become older isn't something that they that they'll be ignorant about and that's why i told her at such a young age it was my own fear um due to obviously my work um being a youth worker like you get trained and and you do understand you know uh the developmental brain and you do understand uh like you you learn about you know reactive attachment disorders and all sorts of other things that kids can get. And then, and to create, I guess, where my mind was at was, well, I couldn't avoid trauma for my daughter because I'm going to make the effort to stay with my family and, you know, and, and create uh, that sort of lifestyle for them. She needs a heads up, you know, because if she doesn't know or understand, like, daddy's sick and when he's sick... He says and does things that that he probably doesn't mean, or that's why he's locked in his room crying for however fucking long. Like, because they won't understand. She would think like if I didn't tell her, she would think, "Oh, did someone die?" Or she may even, she may even think, being a kid, what was it that I did wrong? Yeah, exactly. Is this is this my fault? See, and 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 those were the sorts of of of, of traumas that I was thinking of in the future. I thought, well, I would rather take the risk in trying to talk to my daughter about it at a young age and hopefully she'll understand enough to know that it's not her fault, it's not mum's fault, it's not her brother's fault, it's just a sickness that I just have to deal with. 